Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Today, we get a chance to show off some of our incredible young adult preachers. We, we've called them communicators before. They are fire-breathing preachers, okay? Here at Celebration Church, we have something called Celebration College, where we are training and equipping the next generation of pastors and leaders, of ministers. Um, and some of the people that you're going to hear from today, in fact, all of them pretty much um, have gone through Celebration College and been equipped with theology, but also the practical tools to help them preach a sermon, and they are going to do that today. You're about to hear from five different preachers, uh, but real quick, I want to set the stage for them. This is not a performance. This is not some weird Christian play, pastor play, okay, preaching play. That's not what this is. They're not up here to perform. They are up here to preach. And so I know you're going to be excited for them. You're going to want to cheer them on. But listen to me. Don't just spectate. Allow your heart to be postured in such a way where you can receive a word from the Spirit of God this morning. The Spirit of God wants to speak through each and every single preacher that will mount this platform. And so I want to encourage you to just reposture your heart for just a second to hear them. Now, I want to encourage you, shout them down, all right? That just means get vocal, all right? If you hear something you like, say amen. You can say preach it. You can say come all with it. Somebody once told me while I was preaching, walk the dog, okay? I don't even know what that means, (laughs) but it pushed the right button, okay? And the Lord did something special in that service, all right? Just get vocal is all I'm trying to say. If you hear something you like, get vocal. And with no further ado, I'm going to welcome John Adams to preach to us this morning. Come on. Love you. Knock it out of the park. <laughs> Good morning, Celebration Church. Well, as Keenan introdu- Pastor Keenan introduced me as, I'm John Adams. Um, and I'm going to get right into it. Uh, the book I will be preaching out of is Acts 10, verses 34 and 35. Acts 10, 34 and 35. A little context behind this verse is um, this is the first time the apostles and the Jews will be preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, right? So big monumentous occasion. And that's where we pick up in verse 34. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And the two points I want to give you today from this passage is one, God's favor doesn't have favorites. And two, the right fear builds relationship. And so I'm going to dive straight into that first point. God's favor doesn't have favorites. Several years ago, when I was a junior in high school, I played basketball, right? And because of starting college early, I knew that that was going to be my last season. So my junior year was going to be my last season for basketball. So I, I practiced and I trained all the summer before to make this the best season yet, right? And, uh, well, we get to the season and the, and the coach picks his favorite players, makes them the starters. Uh, I was not one of them. Um, <laughs> Which was fine, because I was excited for the first game. And the first game rolls around, and the starters go out, and I'm sitting there, and I'm excited. And then the game ends, and I'm still on the bench. And then it's, it's no worries. The next game starts, and the starters go out, and, and then the game ends, and I'm still on the bench. And game after game after game, I noticed this, this reoccurring theme. 
that I am now a professional bench warmer. <laughs> I have not gotten in the game once. And the only thing that kept running through my mind in this moment was how I needed to compete against my own teammates to earn a spot in the group of favorite players, right? How I could get good enough or work hard enough in order to earn that spot. See, and I say all of this, because as humans, we tend to play favorites a lot, right? And it hurts the mindset and the relationship with the people that are not considered favorites, which is why God doesn't play favorites. We see that in verse 34 when it says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. See, I say all of this because, uh, see, in that time, the Jews would only preach to other Jews. Right, And instead of letting only a select group of people hear the gospel, God wants everybody to hear the gospel, which is why God needed to refresh their perspective, and he's calling us to do the same today. So you have to understand that the message about Christ is not just for a select few. It isn't just for the elite in society. It isn't even just for the poor and destitute in society. See, the message of the gospel is for anyone and everyone that has ears to hear it, regardless of age, gender, or economic status. We are called to preach the gospel because God's favor is in the fact that God sent his favorites and only son to die on a cross for your sins, to save the world and not just you. See, when you refuse to play favorites, it expands your vision of ministry. And when you have the right vision of ministry and the right understanding of your relationship with God, it will inform your mindset for ministry. So what is the right relationship? On to my second point. The right fear builds relationship. A few days ago, I was watching a nature documentary, right? And I, I love nature and I love animals, so it was just the right pick for me. Um, and it was called African Cats. And during the documentary, we were following a leopard. And when a leopard gets a kill, it drags that kill up into a tree in order to protect it from other predators. And about that time, when they said the word predators, the camera pans down and you see a group of lions approaching the tree. And as you would expect to happen, the leopard got down out of the tree, then a monkey came forth and lifted up a lion cub, and then everybody started bowing down. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I wasn't watching the Lion King. <laughs> See, in reality, the leopard ascended even higher into the tree, into the thinner branches, because it knew that the relationship it had with the lion was no bueno. It wasn't good. She had to fear them, right? See, the fear the leopard had defined the relationship with the lion. The difference between us and that picture of the lions is that the lion of Judah wants to draw near to you now, not to punish you, but to actually save you from a just punishment later. Understanding that our faith is built on acknowledging that our transgression against a holy God caused us to separate ourselves from his presence, which leads us into an eternal separation from all that can be called good. See, as C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, one of the characters is talking about Aslan. Aslan happens to be a lion, which I think is cool. Um, but it says, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. See, without a course correction from an outside source, which is Jesus, the initial fear of the judgment of God cannot evolve into the reverential awe of God, which draws us near to him 
uh, understanding that though he isn't safe because of his wrath for sin, he is good because of his love for you. The reverential awe of God allows us to hold in perfect understanding the weight of Jesus' sacrifice, taking on your sin and taking on God's wrath and leaving his love for you. But without first the fear of the Lord and the fear of the judgment of sin, we cannot fully understand the weight of our assignment to share that with others. See, the right fear of God will lead you into the right mindset for ministry. So in summary, my two points is one, God's favor doesn't have favorites, which means you are called to share the gospel with anyone and everyone around you, regardless of your history with them and regardless of what they may have done to you in the past. And two, the right fear builds relationship because when you fear God appropriately, you won't help but to share with them consistently. Thank you. So good. Well, good morning. My name is Caitlin and I am so excited to be up here this morning to give you guys a word. This word has been something that has been really heavy on my heart and honestly something that I have had to preach to myself. So let's jump into it. Today I am reading from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 18 and 19. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or look at the screen, Ephesians chapter 3 verses 18 and 19 say this, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What I want to leave with you today is that there is no place where God's love does not reach. So I'm going to take you back to whenever I was a teenager. I was about 12 or 13 years old at the time. It was my first year in middle school. And so I start making all of these new friends and I'm super excited about it. So all I want to do is hang out with them, have summer parties, do all the teenage girl things. Well, one night I had asked my mom if I could stay the night and she said no, that I had to stay home that night. So I got upset. I start texting my friend, throwing a fit, telling her how mean my mom was for not letting me stay the night, and just all of these mean and hurtful things, and I press send. But then I look at the top, and across the top, it read, mom. I had accidentally sent my mom a text about her to her instead of my friend. So I start freaking out. I start grounding myself, right? I grab my TV, I grab my phone, I grab my iPod, put it in a pile in the next room. And if you're anything like my mom, we used to have to write sentences whenever we were in trouble. So I sit down at my desk, I start writing sentences, and I'm just completely freaking out. So she eventually gets home and I, the key, I hear the keys opening the door. I hear her footsteps coming down the hall and I'm sitting on my bed. She walks in, she sits on my bed and I just immediately start apologizing to her over and over again. She just looks at me and she says, it's okay and I love you. Gets up and walks out. <laughs> in that moment, I was filled with so much fear, guilt and shame for what I had just done. And I was expecting the worst. I was expecting World War III to break out in my room that night. But instead, I was embraced with love, forgiveness and mercy. In a place where my mom had every right to react out of anger, she responded out of love. And I didn't understand how she could let me off the hook that easy, that in a place that had messed up so badly, she saw me and loved me anyways. And isn't that a perfect picture of what God does for you? 
He sees you deep in your sin and rebellion and he loves you anyways. There is no place where God's love will not reach you. He loves you. You haven't messed up one too many times. You haven't gone too far. You haven't sinned too many times. But the enemy would love to get you to think that you have. But while the enemy is telling you that God doesn't love you anymore because of everything you've done, God's word says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you might be saying, well, I just don't understand how he could still love me after everything I've done. But the great thing is, is that you don't have to fully understand it in order to receive it. And usually there are two things that can keep you from receiving the love of God. One, feeling like you don't deserve it. And two, not fully understanding it. The first one will get you to listen to the lies of the enemy and he'll start getting you to replay your past. Like, oh, remember when you did that? Remember when you did that with that person? And you start getting focused on everything you have done instead of focusing on everything God has already done for you. And focusing on that only allows the guilt, shame, and condemnation to just follow you around, making you feel like you don't deserve it. And the second one makes you doubt if God even loves you. And because you don't understand it, you think it's impossible to receive it. Both are lies. All he wants to do is keep you away from the love God has for you. Because just like in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The last thing that the enemy wants is for you to be made complete, to live in the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He wants to keep you bound to your past, broken and hurt. And if you're not careful, you will start collecting your hurt from the world and from people. And you'll start to think, that God doesn't love you, but that's just not true. You can't measure God's love by how much other people love you. Focusing on people, seasons, and your past will only keep you from the joy that comes from the freedom his love brings. Let go of the notion that you have to be perfect and have to have everything figured out in order to receive the love of God. God's love is not based on whether or not you deserve it or your understanding of it. His love is based on who he is, not who you are. Don't let the enemy rob you of everything that God wants to give you. Receive God's love today because he is here with arms wide open, waiting for you to fully be embraced by him. Thank you. Morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you look good. Turn to your other neighbor and say, they told me I look good. <laughs> awesome. My name is Romero. Me and my wife serve here at the church. Um, we've been married for 11 years. We have two little boys, a two and a half year old and a almost one year old at the end of this month. And fatherhood has been an adventure. Let me tell you what. So about two and a half years ago, I had worked uh, eight, about an 18 hour shift. It was midnight um, and I was on my way home so I could spend a few hours here at home and then go immediately back to work on Monday. <clears throat> I was coming from Carlsbad, New Mexico. I hit Big Spring and uh, my wife calls me and uh, like, you know, I'm like, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm driving, you know, it's two in the morning. She's like, <clears throat> she's like, well, I think my water broke. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm freaking out. And she's like completely calm. I'm like, well, do you need to go? Do you do? And I'm like over here, you know, trying to get words out. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a shower, you know, and then we'll get ready. 
So, and then I get home and I'm hurrying and I, I like walk in the door and she's just sitting there on the couch just chilling. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, well, I was just waiting on you. I'm like, well, let's, let's go. Come on. Like, let, let's, let's get this process going. So unbeknownst to me though, we were going to wait at the, you know, in the delivery room forever. I was, you know, so excited to meet my baby boy. And he was just, he took his sweet time. And, um, <laughs> but he finally came and it was the most beautiful, most amazing, most thing I have ever witnessed in my entire life. Um, it, it was just the coolest thing in the world to just to just see this life, the uh, this life be born, and to be able to hold him in my arms for the first time, and to cry uncontrollably. Like I couldn't. It didn't even matter that the nurses were laughing. I didn't even care because that was my boy. Amen. So. Um, that it made me think of this verse and the, and the title of my sermon this morning is called dad mode or slash parent mode. If that works for you, Matthew three sixteen through 17 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and we saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. I understood how God felt in that moment. The, at, the, at that very moment that, that my son was born, I understood that the, the, the joy and, and just that uh, the proudness of, of his son being baptized and, be, and being made new. Amen. Um, there's just something so powerful about that. My first point this morning is God doesn't need proof to be proud. At this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't prayed for anybody. He hadn't led people to him. He hadn't done anything, but he, all he had done was been baptized and raised up. And Jesus and God says, I am proud of you. When your kids are young, everything they do is praiseworthy. Everything they do, even the most rudimentary things that you think, you know, you, I wouldn't go out to eat with Pastor Keenan and be like, oh, good job, Keenan. You ate with the spoon today. You did so good. You went to the potty by yourself. That is not something that I would do to him, but to my boys, I would because they do not do those things very often. Okay. It's not something that it's just like, uh, you know, I am so ready for my older one to be out of pampers because I'm tired of pampers. All right. And um, my wife's probably back there. You don't even change no diapers. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so, <laughs> but even the most rudimentary things they get praised for when they're younger, right? Well, when my son turned two, we had to go to a speech therapist. Um, our doctor was a little concerned that he wasn't vocalizing anything. He, she said he understood everything and, you know, was making those connections, but just didn't vocalize as much as he should have at two. So we went to see the speech therapist and he did everything she said. Our boy's very smart. Um, you know, just like all of your kids are, are the smartest and they're all going to Harvard or Yale or wherever, you, you know, they're all the most uh, intelligent beings. But um, the speech therapist said, the speech therapist said something to me that that um, that just altered the way that I thought. And she said, affirmation and praise goes a long way. Like those things need to be there in a parent. But she said, don't despise the voice of discipline. That the voice of discipline is going to be powerful in his in his in his speech therapy and in his uh, and his just in the vocalizing of words. <clears throat> It brings me to my second point, just, and that's once you've been affirmed, you can be corrected. Amen. In John 14, 6 through 9, Jesus is sitting with the disciples at the Last Supper, and, and, he's, uh, and, he's just, and they're kind of worried about what's about to happen. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, 
you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But Philip says, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? What's that old parent? What's that old saying? Parents are always saying, do it. Do as I say, not as I do. Or what about this one? I I hope you pray to Jesus because you're about to meet him. (laughs) Right. Do as I say, not as I do is is foolish. It's not even correct. The saying should be, watch me. I'll show you the Father. Watch me. I'll show you the way. I'll show you the truth. I'll show you the life. I pray slash fast for this very reason so that one day my children will be able to say, I've always known that God was real or close because I saw him in my parents. Dad mode has been the best and scariest part of my life. The gift of children allows us to see from the perspective of our Heavenly Father and allows us to be more like Him. Thank you. Hey, y'all. My name is Ashley Dushek, and I'm going to be jumping into 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. A couple weeks ago, I found myself struggling with a lie from the enemy, so I decided to take my thoughts captive. After writing down my thought and the evidence and reasons for why I believed it, I searched to see what God has to say about it. That's when I found myself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, not once, not twice, but three times. So I decided that if God could use these words to help me fight the enemy, then his words can help you fight too. So here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses nine through 10 says this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This morning, I'm going to be bringing you these two truths from these verses. His grace covers your weakness, and your surrender brings his strength. So for my first truth, his grace covers your weakness, I'm going to tell you a story about a time I got something I didn't deserve at all. When I was in college, my friend invited me to go on winter vacation with her and her family to Red River, New Mexico. The first few days snowboarding on the mountain went great, but the day before coming home, I decided to catch myself with my arm, ending up with a broken arm and a torn UCL. I did go down a black diamond though, on a stretcher. But you see, when the trip came to an end, I headed back to Angelo with my arm in a sling during snowvid. After a couple hours of driving, very slowly, mostly of which consumed with crying, I pulled over to the first place I saw in Big Spring. I could not make it home. So I did what every college student does who doesn't know what to do. 
Call mom and dad. So I called my parents and I expected this response of yelling at me for thinking I was crazy enough to drive through a foot of snow and a ton of ice with only one arm, but instead I got a response that I didn't deserve at all. My parents met me right where I was at. My parents drove to Big Spring and then my dad drove his truck back home and my mom drove me home in my car. You see, in this moment, I didn't deserve this at all, but my parents loved me so much that they met me right where I was at and gave me all that I needed. You see, grace is freely given and not deserved. Paul writes in verse nine that my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient in all that you need, but you don't realize his grace is sufficient until you realize you are insufficient. It's in that moment when you often are in this place that you find yourself somewhat independent of God. This place where you think you have your act together and things are going really well. That's a place that can often lead you to pride because in that moment you think you are sufficient. But God's grace is sufficient. God's grace meets you right where you're at. Stuck in addiction, consumed by depression, overwhelmed by fear and anxiety, living a life full of pride, his grace is available for you. You are the perfect candidate. His grace is sufficient for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way because he loves you and he meets you right where you're at. It's in that moment when you know you can't make it home on your own and you decide that the undeserved gift your heavenly father has is all that you need, that's when you will find God's grace because his grace covers your weakness. Which brings me to my second and final truth for this morning. Your surrender brings his strength. A couple years ago, I had to get my wisdom teeth taken out. And although I don't remember much about this story or about this morning, I have plenty of videos that will not let me forget. So after the surgery, the nurse came in and she told me that all I had to do was sit in this wheelchair and she would take me to my car. To which I replied, I don't need no wheelchair. I got two legs. I can walk. She gave me an interesting look to this response to which I added on, I'm fast. I ran track. She then proceeded to explain the safety protocol and once again insisted that I take a seat in this wheelchair. To which I applied another time. I don't need no wheelchair. My legs work. Did you see that gymnast? She dislocated both her knees. I didn't. I'm fine. Y'all, I did not want to get in this wheelchair. So at this moment, there's now tons of people in this room all reasoning with me the same thing that I should sit in this wheelchair. To which I replied a fourth and final time. I don't need no wheelchair. I got the blood of Jesus inside of me. The nurse just looked at me and said, that's great. How about you sit in the wheelchair now? You see, in that moment, I didn't want to acknowledge that I had a weakness. I thought that having a weakness would hinder me from getting where I wanted to go and doing what I wanted to do. But when I decided to trust them and sit with my weakness, knowing where my help really came from, that's when I could be carried to a place where I would be made strong. You see, the Lord says in verse 9, my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul finishes in verse 10 with, for when I am am weak, then I am strong. If you're familiar with this story, you know that this weakness Paul is referring to is this thorn in his flesh, a hindrance that he prayed would be removed, but God chose to keep in his life. 
Paul had to let go of the idea that this weakness, this thorn would hinder his ministry and trust that God's power would shine in his weakness. When you let go and allow God to carry you in moments you are weak, that's when God's power will shine in you and make you strong. Just because you were strong before doesn't mean you're strong now. Past strength won't help your current weakness. Only God's strength is made perfect in weakness. So what is it that's holding you captive? What do you need to let God carry you in? Letting go of the lie that is debilitating you, whether it be about a person, a place, or thing, or even just some idea in your head, and letting God carry you gives him the power to make you stronger than you could ever be on your own. Your surrender brings his strength. You can't do it all, but Christ can. So after taking my thoughts captive and finding myself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I saw that this lie, this thought in my head was a lie straight from the enemy. God's grace covers my weakness and in my weakness, he makes me strong. If dependence on God is our goal, then weakness is our advantage. So the next time the enemy throws a lie in your head, I challenge you to face his lie with God's truth. Hold on to the promise that his grace covers your weakness and your surrender brings his strength. Thank you. Good morning, church. They told me if I dressed like Pastor Brandon, I would preach better, so we're believing for that. I want to talk to you this morning about the foundation of what we believe as Christians. This is the bedrock of our faith. This is what it's all built upon. Once we get an understanding of this, everything else that we do flows from it. And so we're gonna be reading from Romans chapter three in verses 23 and 24. And what I'm talking about when I say the bedrock of our faith is I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about the gospel. And if you've been around church, you know, you hear the word, the gospel. We're going to sing gospel music. We're going to preach the gospel. We're hearing the gospel. And sometimes it can be hard to know what exactly we're talking about when we say that. Sometimes we can miss what is the meaning of the gospel. Well, the gospel just means good news. And so the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, we get a really nice summation of the gospel in these two verses. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what I really love about the way that that's presented is there's kind of like bad news and then good news, right? So verse 23 would be the bad news per se that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think our biggest problem when it comes to the way we view our sin is that we don't take it seriously enough. We don't view our sin seriously enough. I can think of a time when I was in junior high, and this particular day, we had a substitute teacher. And 
me and a few guys from my class decided that we would do what every good junior high boy does when they have a substitute teacher, and we got insane. We were, we were running around, jumping on the tables. We ended up dancing on top of the school tables and just causing a fuss. And, you know, we slowly but surely noticed that this sub was getting on her phone. And we kind of figured out what she was doing and we started getting a little scared. We kind of calmed down one at a time. Well, Sure enough, the principal comes in a few minutes later, and he escorts three of us to the office. And on the way to the office, I'm thinking, man, like, I didn't, I didn't really do as much as, like, some of the other people. And, like, my, like, do I really deserve this? Like, I felt like I was, like, pretty decent in the whole thing, you know? Like, I didn't do as much. <laughs> And man, I think that's how so many of us view our sin because the fact of the matter was, it didn't matter that I didn't do as much. It mattered that I was still guilty and that I still deserved punishment. I got what I deserved, which was punishment for my actions. And that's what our sin does. Our sin is crimes against God that we deserve punishment for. But God made a way for us to be forgiven. And I want to reread verse 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, our sin separates us from God, but God loves you too much to let you stay separated from him. There's a chasm between that we cannot cross under our own power, but Jesus Christ built a bridge with only two pieces of wood and a few nails that spans across that chasm so that we can walk in a new life with him. Amen. I love that this verse calls God's salvation a gift. Because just like any gift, we have to choose to accept it. No, it's a, you know, a gift is not forced upon you. Nobody runs up to you and says, here, this is yours, take it, and you have to take it. You have to choose to accept a gift. And so, what do we do this morning? How do we accept the gift of God's salvation that comes through the good news? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is the very first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. He says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Repentance means to turn from your ways, to change the way you think, to turn from your sins, to trust in God's ways over your ways, and to believe in the gospel. This is not talking about a surface level belief of, yeah, I have a head knowledge of it. I kind of understand what they're talking about. When this belief gets on the inside of you, it will change you from the inside out. God's word says that we become a new creation in Christ. And my question to you today is, would you be willing to accept that gift? Thank you. Amen. There you have it. Would you be willing to accept that gift? 
It's already been purchased. If you don't accept it, it goes to waste. You're not doing God a favor by saying, hey, pass it along, pay it forward to the next guy. You're saying what you already bought isn't good enough for me. Some of you, you're wanting to put your faith in Jesus, but there's this thing holding you back because you feel like there's still something else you've got to do. There's no way it could just be that simple. There's no way Jesus literally did everything. He probably did like 99%. And then I need to come and just round the rest out to get it to that 100. Listen to me. Jesus has already 100% satisfied the wrath of God. It's been satisfied. The question is, will you let him be enough? Some of you think, man, if... If only Jesus had done a little bit more. Had Jesus taken four nails instead of three, would it be enough for you then? Is it, is it that he didn't take enough nails? Had he taken 80 lashings on his back rather than the 40 minus one, would it have been enough for you then? Had he worn a necklace of thorns as well as a crown of thorns, would it have been enough for you then? Had he stayed in the grave six days rather than just three, would it be enough then? Or is what Jesus already did enough for you today? That's the question. Is Jesus enough? Because the truth is this, outside of him, we are forever separated from God because of our sin. There's this misnomer in the church and we have lied to you. And I, I think I may have even done it a time or two, but we tell everybody, you're a child of God, false. It's not what the Bible says. Makes people feel good, but you make them feel good with a lie. We are not all children of God. We are all made in the image of God. But the Bible says this in John chapter one, verse 11, that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You have the right to become a child of God today. And that's the invitation. Will you accept the free gift of Jesus? Or will you let it go to waste? And this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment of privacy and concentration, I wanna give you an opportunity to say yes to a God who has already said yes to you. God's a gentleman. He will never force himself on you. He is waiting for you. The Bible says this in the book of Revelation, I knock at the door. If any man would open, I will come in and sup with him. But God is waiting for you to open the door. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.